Today on the podcast, we've got Amy Bo from Canada. So how are you today, Amy? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> awesome to have you on. Um, I'm excited for, I guess, you to be able to share some of your awesome knowledge. Um, we've been following you on Insta for a while. And I guess we, like we were just talking, you've worked with John, who is a mentor of mine. So that's how I kind of came across your stuff. But I really love all the content you share and I think there's going to be some great value you can share with our listeners today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've just finished training. I had lunch. I sat in the sun for a little while, so I'm ready. I'm ready to um, have, yeah, a great conversation around training, nutrition and wherever we go. Yeah, awesome. So tell us a little bit about, I guess just I love to hear people's story like I know we were just chatting to that you originally came from Australia and now you're overseas. So tell us a little bit about where you started and what's led you to doing what you do today. Yeah, so I am Australian. I have a quite uh, eclectic accent that people sometimes aren't sure. (laughs) But I grew up near Byron Bay and I've lived in Vancouver in Canada for nearly five years. Uh, But I am an Australian lizard at heart. (laughs) Uh, okay, well, we'll go the short version for my story. I think there's many layers to it, but now I help women learn how to get stronger and healthier with a really simple formula that I've developed over the last, you know, 13 years being in the health and the fitness space. Uh, and I do this through training nutrition and the cycle and helping them really link it together. Uh, And I guess my story starts back in 2005. My sister had an eating disorder and that's when I became really curious about our relationship to food and with nutrition. So I decided I'd become a dietitian, specialize in eating disorders. Uh, And so I did an undergrad degree in exercise science and nutrition. And then I moved to Melbourne and did my master's in dietetics. I worked in the eating disorder space for quite a while, but then I found myself going back into the training space. So while I was doing my master's, I uh, was PTing in a corporate uh, setting in Melbourne. I took two years off uh, PTing to do my master's. And then I worked in a clinic for a couple of years, uh, but I I kind of found myself going back into the training space because I thought, oh, this is really cool. Like taking the training and my training background as an athlete uh, and then the PT stuff and linking it with the nutrition. Uh, And then in 2012, while I was doing my master's, I actually had a back injury. So that kind of brings the training piece into it. And I was you know, I had chronic back pain on and off for a couple of years. I had a a bad relationship breakdown. My hormones were a mess. And so I found a trainer that specialized in pain and rehabilitation. And I worked with him and we worked really hard for a year to rehabilitate my back. And our only goal was to get a strong, healthy spine. So I took, you know, my own journey around my back pain and then my fascination with nutrition and started to work you know, back in the training space, mostly with women 
trying to link the training and nutrition piece together. And then I was competing in Olympic weightlifting at the time. So the same coach that helped me rehab my spine uh, taught me how to Olympic lift and I had this natural ability. So then I started to compete in Olympic lifting. But after a couple of years of training a lot, like three or four hours a day, six days a week, uh, I began to something didn't feel quite right. You know, I had an amazing coach, an amazing program. I was really good with my mobility uh, and movement practice. My recovery practices were really good. I was good with my nutrition and sleep, but something still didn't feel quite right. And then I got injured again, quite badly. Uh, I sublaxed my rib uh, and I couldn't train. I could barely move. And while I was injured, I went looking for that missing piece. And what I realized was that I didn't understand my cycle. Like I knew that I had a cycle and it arrived on time, mostly without symptoms throughout my entire cycle years. But I didn't know that my hormones changed and that could impact how I felt in my training. So I was just pushing and pushing and pushing for years. And what I learned was that, you know, our hormones change. So that brought in the cycle piece. So I think, you know, from 2005 until five years ago, uh, through those, I think, three key experiences is what really birthed what I do today in Warrior School is try to help women link them together because it's really challenging. You know, just focusing on one is hard enough, but then you think about, trying to bring the nutrition and the hormone stuff in. Yeah. It can be really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. That's awesome. I, when I first became a coach, actually, I, I did some mentoring with fifth element wellness. I don't know if you've heard of them in they're in Fitzroy. in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and they were really, really big on the, on exactly what you're talking about. The, the cycle and, and adjusting your training to suit. Cause obviously like most of my clients now guys, but when I've, when I first started, I had my, my, I was running my gym mostly. So the bulk of my clients are actually ladies. So I, I had, I know a little bit about it. Um, definitely not at the level that you would be, I'm sure, but it's, I know how important it is and how big a difference. And even my wife, like she tracks her cycle. She's not really into training hugely, but she, she does track her cycle. So I know, and I know like it definitely affects her. <laughs> um, so how, I guess, how did you find, how was it to, to learn all that stuff? Like it's cause it's not really mainstream. Um, how did you have to go about learning all that stuff? Yeah, you're totally right. As you know, I've been a coach for 13 years. I know a lot of coaches that have been in this space for a long time and we were never taught about it. You know, I've done two degrees in exercise science and a master's in dietetics and we weren't really taught about the menstrual cycle and the, Uh, physiological changes that actually happen that could impact, you know, how we feel, how we train, how we use food as fuel. Uh, And that's like the biggest difference, you know, between a male and a female from a physiological perspective is that we have a menstrual cycle uh, and it's not spoken about in the, in the fitness industry. How did I go about learning? Uh, I found the work of Claire Baker, who is another Australian that does a lot of cycle work. And that's that's who my wife does all learn all. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Which is cool. Uh, Yeah, it is really cool. So she does a lot with like seasons and, you know, inner season. So using the seasons uh, and, 
you know, I think we, you can kind of think about it from two ends. You have this very scientific physiological end from like, you know, Dr. Stacey Sims. She's like an, she's a researcher and exercise scientist that does a lot of stuff around female physiology and performance. And then you have like Claire's end, you know, definitely there's some science around the cycle, but it's more a, it's just a different perspective. Uh, so there's like two yeah. ends of the spectrum, I guess. Uh, and I kind of brought them together. You know, I'm super interested in the science and the physiology just from my science background, but then also bringing this nice softer approach to it, which I like, you know, the work of Claire and there's other practitioners in this space that, um, yeah, talk about it in a different way. So I found some stuff on her about inner seasons and then I just dived into the research and there's a couple of really good practitioners out there. Uh, Lara Bryden, she's a naturopathic doctor. She's actually written a book uh, and she just wrote her second one on perimenopause and menopause, which again is not even spoken about really at all. Uh, and then Maisie Hill, she has also written a book. So I just started reading and researching. And what I learned was that our hormones change. You know, they don't stay the same. Uh, and that could impact how we feel how we use food as fuel, how we recover, uh, the type of training that we can tolerate, you know, it can impact our sleep, our body temperature. So all of these things that, you know, we're just not taught about. And then what I did was I started to write the day of my cycle in my training journal. So I've been keeping a training journal for about nine years. And five years ago, when I started to research this stuff, all I did was start by writing the day of my cycle at the top. And over time, I just began to notice like how I felt, how my training went and what day I was on. And that's how I kind of started to learn about my cycle and training with my cycle. The research was as was helpful, but I think I'll say that there's not a lot out there. We don't, <laughs> we're not studied a lot. Uh, and the main reason is because we actually have a menstrual cycle. And then even within the research on menstrual cycle, our physiology and performance, there's actually not a lot of strong data in there. You know, there is, it's coming definitely. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot of research. So I really just learned to use the cycle as a tool just through tracking it. Yeah. 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 Cool. And then you've like, so you've obviously had heaps of experience yourself, but you now you've gone on to like develop that into your, your online business and obviously like seen how that, how your clients can actually feel the benefits of that too. Right. Yeah, for me, it really comes back down to the conversation of like building trust with our body, yeah. you know, whether we're a male or a female and, you know, the cycle is just a tool that we can build trust with our body. Uh, and a lot of females don't trust their bodies. Actually, just a lot of people, you know, we don't trust, trust our body because we've been brought up in a culture that really breeds a lot of distrust through diet culture and, you know, the fitness industry. And so the piece around the cycle for me really is, you know, knowing the cycle to know your body better. And once you know your body better, you can build trust with it. And then when you trust your body, you're more confident and you're more certain. So then, you know, that bleeds into every area of your life, not just with training. Uh, but I actually don't look at it 
uh, at the start. So say I start working with a woman, most of our work is around training and nutrition. And if she has like an irregular cycle or no cycle or a lot of hormonal problems, often when you really look at the training and the nutrition and you make some changes there to support, you know, where she's at and her system and her physiology, the cycle regulates itself over time. Uh, mostly, you know, depending on what's going on. But uh, it's kind of like the third piece. If you think of a triangle, you know, my main piece is training uh, and then nutrition and then the cycle stuff kind of, you know, it's important, but not as big of a focus. Yeah, yeah, cool. So do you think like the training affects the cycle more than the cycle affects the training? Is that what you... Yeah, Yeah. Ben, totally, yeah. Yeah. So the state... You know, the state of our system, um, what I mean by that, like, you know, our nervous system, how stressed our body is or how well our body's functioning, you know, how well our metabolism's functioning, that is going to impact our cycle more, you know, than the cycle actually impacts the training. I have a regular cycle. It's always arrived, you know, on time. It's pretty much a 28 or a 30-day cycle. It has hardly without symptoms. So I've had a really good, strong, healthy cycle. And often it doesn't actually stop me from training. And this is like, you know, we need to reframe that for it being a burden. Uh, Like it works against us, especially when it comes to training to actually know it doesn't. We just need to understand our cycle, the length of it, when the hormones might change and we might be a little bit physiologically impeded so we can put strategies in place. But Uh, you know, and the way that I normally explain it is, you know, the research will say that, you know, the last five to seven days of our cycle can be really hard. You know, we should take it easy. We should rest. Um, You know, we might experience a lot of PMS stuff. PMS is super common, but it's actually not normal. We shouldn't experience it. It's telling us that the system's really stressed. Um, And then the research will also say that, you know, around day 10 to 14, we're at our peak. Yeah, estrogen and testosterone are on stage. We should feel really good. But I've had some of my hardest training days on day 14 and some of my best training days on day 26 or day one of my cycle. It really comes back to the system. You know, how well did I sleep? How well did I eat? What type of training am I doing? Uh, You know, is it supporting me where I'm at right now? And so I think, you know, that's a key piece when I speak about the cycle. You know, it's just a tool that we can be aware of, but it's not the tool. And it's, you know, we don't need to completely change our training to train with the cycle. We need to more focus on doing the right type of training, you know, to build a good foundation and support our physiology. And we can just use the cycle as a piece in that. Yeah. I love that because that can kind of like the PMS thing, it can become like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost when, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you, like you say, we come back and address the underlying factors and that doesn't actually have to be your reality, right? Yeah. And that, you know, with females, with their cycle, it's often, you know, PMS symptoms, whether that's fatigue, headaches, cramps, pain, 
Uh, and we really need to look underneath and what's the state of the system. For males, often it comes up as, you know, this constant fatigue, this tiredness, um, you know, maybe a low tolerance or resilience to stress, uh, which then is going to impact their performance. So the females just experience a little bit more of a hormonal signal, I guess. Uh, but males, definitely, yeah. if their system is stressed, uh, their body's going to tell them. Yes. And we need to, it's both the same for males and females. We're coming w- way back down and we're going back to like, you know, the cellular level, you know, right to the foundation of what's going on in the system. Yeah. Yeah. So what is like some of the, how do you, I guess, change your training through the cycle? Is there types of training that are perhaps not best um, at certain times? Yeah. So let's, we'll chat a little bit about like the science of the cycle, what actually goes on a little bit, and then we'll look at, you know, what some of the research shows. So if you think about a menstrual cycle, you know, a textbook cycle, what the science or the textbooks say will be 28 days. Now, not a lot of females I know actually have a spot on 28 day cycle. So the range of like a normal menstrual cycle can be from like 21 to 35 days. That's like the average range. So it's pretty big, yeah? But a female, you know, she has a healthy regular cycle that arrives on time. She should pretty much have an average. Now, you know, sometimes she can have an outlier. Like my last cycle was 34 days uh, and that doesn't really happen. But every now and then, potentially we have a change in our cycle and it's mostly due to like stress or the the system being uh, stressed. So if we think of... We'll just use an example of a 28-day cycle. Now, basically, we have two phases. So the first phase is like the follicular phase or called the low hormone phase. Then the second phase is the luteal phase and the high hormone phase. So if we think about from a physiological perspective, what's going on in our first phase, when we're actually menstruating on our bleed, so the first, say, one to seven days, Uh, we're actually more like males from a physiological perspective. The hormones are pretty flat. Uh, And then estrogen, which is our dominant hormone in our first phase, it begins to rise at around day seven to 10. And it brings on testosterone as well. So they kind of come on stage. And that's why the research links it to feeling pretty good. You know, we have higher estrogen levels, higher testosterone levels. So we can go out, we can train harder, we can train longer. Some research shows that we can get greater strength gains in this phase compared to a group of women that did strength training in their luteal phase. Uh, Some of the research shows that we can recover better because our time to fatigue, you know, is a little longer. Uh, We can use carbohydrates for fuel better in this first phase. So we're actually more insulin sensitive. So there's some key things there that make it easier for us to train harder. You know, the, the, the access to carbohydrates, the lower core temperature, the estrogen, the testosterone. And so it's a great time, you know, to push harder, to go for PBs, to do those intense efforts, um, to get in the gym, to lift weights. Now, around day 14, if we have a 28-day cycle, we'll ovulate. And when we ovulate, then there's some shifts that happen with our physiology. So we enter the second phase and progesterone is the dominant hormone in the second phase. 
And what happens is that our core body temperature increases uh, at ovulation and after ovulation. So that can make it a little harder for us to sleep. So some women, you'll hear that they find it hard to sleep in their second phase uh, a couple of nights because their core body temperatures rise. Uh, our time to fatigue can be a little shorter because of that. If we're in hot human environments, you know, maybe we're on the bike and we're in all that gear and we have a core temperature that's higher, like our time to fatigue might be a little shorter because uh, our core temperature is higher. We also lose a little bit more sodium. So our hydration becomes really important in that second phase because of the shift in hormones. Again, if I'm in the Australian heat on a bike, like in all that gear, it, yeah, we, we could notice, um, uh, fatigue a little bit quicker than we would in the first phase. Um, what else happens? Melatonin, which is our sleep hormone rises a little bit more in the second phase. So we crave more rest. Uh, and, you know, so it's not about training or not racing or, you know, not, not doing anything in that second phase. It's just knowing that, okay, my progesterone's higher, my core body temperature's higher. I need to focus on my hydration. Uh, progesterone's also really catabolic. So it's our breakdown. You know, it likes to eat our muscles. Um, so it's really important to focus on enough protein, you know, before our training or before our race and after our race or training. So there's just a couple of key things that we need to really uh, focus on. So, you know, it's, I think, and people ask me this question all the time. So should I do certain like exercises in a certain part of my cycle? And no, is the, is the short answer. Because if you have a healthy regular cycle and you have a really good nutrition foundation and you have a good training program that you have a great training foundation, you should be good. You shouldn't have to, you know, of course. Yeah. If we're on day 26 and we didn't sleep and we feel like shit and, or we're maybe on day one and we have a little bit of lower back pain and some cramps, we just need to listen. Yeah. We need to check in with the body and maybe walk, or maybe we train a little bit later when we feel a little bit more stable. Uh, so for me, it's always just checking in no matter what day you're on, just know that the second half of the cycle can feel a little harder, but it shouldn't stop you from racing or training. If you have a strong strategy in place. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I love that. That the checking in thing, that's some pretty good advice. I think any anyone could take when you, yeah. when you walk into a training session or start your day even like it's it's a basic thing that that can like pay good dev- dividends yeah but not always easy you know I yeah, often speak sure. about it around you know especially with the women that I work with you know you just have to check in just check in when you wake up check in when you start your session like how does the body actually feel uh, yep. And then when you're in the session, what are you noticing? What are you feeling? What is the training teaching you? Uh, and that is a really hard thing for people to do is this checking in and this noticing and this awareness piece. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I guess we, we didn't kind of touch on it at the start, but there's we, we spoke on it um, before we, we spoke about it before we started. But like in off-road, which is my niche, like female the female side of the sport is like massively growing at the moment, which is really like the whole sport's growing, but just the, the, I guess 
the amount of women that are racing and even for just riding at a social level now is like massive compared to what it was 10 years ago. So that's why I'm sure we've got plenty of listeners out there, um, ladies who will, will take plenty away from this too. Yeah, it's really cool that it's growing. I love when I see, you know, a very male-dominated sport, females showing up, you know, being brave and having yeah. the confidence to, to yeah, enter, enter the arena. But, yeah, I think for the females that are riding and competing to know that, well, you have kind of two sides of it. You know, you have your training that you do to prepare, like all your work, you know, that you do with all your students and clients that are riders, you have the gym side of things, you know, the, the foundation, the preparation, the mobility, the strength piece. Uh, and then you have the actual stuff on the bike, uh, you know, the riding or the, you know, the events. Uh, and I think for females, it's knowing that, you know, your cycle shouldn't be a burden. So if there is something going on hormonally, we need to look at that. You know, it shouldn't stop you from training or from racing. Uh, and really, the conversation comes back to stress and food. So a lot of the time, yeah, especially for females, uh, you know, we need to really look at, well, what's creating a lot of stress in the system? So if I'm having, you know, there's key signs that we can look for, definitely. And this is for male and female to tell us that, you know, our training and our food aren't really working for us. So if we're not sleeping very well, or we're waking up a lot during the night, uh, if we're not recovering from our training, uh, we're not progressing in our training. We can look at temperature and pulse, which are actually very objective measures. And, you know, if they're too low, they're a sign that the metabolism's not working and the system's really stressed. Uh, if I have, yeah, a lot of irregular cycles, painful cycles or no cycles, uh, if I have a lot of digestion stuff, if I'm not pooing once a day at least, uh, you know, all of these key signs will tell us that, hey, wait a minute, like what we're doing right now, it's not working for us. So we need to make some changes. And often the first place that I start is the food, is looking yep. at, you know, what are we eating? When are we eating it? Is the body actually getting enough energy on the cellular level first uh, just to function, let alone, you know, then we add the training and then we add the racing on top of that. <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and you, you touched on it before, like even just the hydration thing, it's like, it's, that's a massive thing I work on with my clients. Like so many people are just not hydrating and, and including any electrolytes. And like you say, like when we're on a bike, you've got gear on, you're sitting on a, a like the engine over a hundred degrees, like all, <laughs> we've got all this stuff that's going against us. Um, so it is like those basic things like nailing your your hydration and nutrition. And, and like you just said, if you're a female and, and you're coming into that part of your cycle, then it's going to be like even more important that you focus on nailing those basics. Yeah. So just so we can support our physiology, you know, we, if we, we want to like everyone wants to like train hard and get results and race well and feel good on the bike. But if we don't have a strong foundation, you know, mm -hmm. 
yeah, it could work for us at the start. And this is what I often tell females, you know, maybe they train hard and they do something or they'll go on a diet. And at the start, it really works for them. You know, they'll see the result or they'll feel better for a little while. But then over time, we start to see that actually our amazing bodies and our physiology are actually really complex. And we really need strong foundations when it comes to our training and our nutrition, because then we're adding, you know, like, a sport on top of that, that is like a specialty that requires, you know, all this extra stuff. So if we don't have a strong foundation, just like a house, eventually it's going to break down, you know? And uh, I think with females, if they're, you know, training and racing, it's starting by looking at, well, am I just eating enough? Yeah. (laughs) Am I eating enough food to not only just support my body, you know, my resting metabolic rate, uh, you know, like to look after my kids and do my work and, but am I eating enough for my training and then am I eating enough for my race, like my bike work as well? So that's the first thing. Uh, Then the second thing with females, there's some studies out there with female athletes that uh, they took a group and one group ate frequently over the day. So every three or four hours uh, and spread their like, you know, their intake over the day, the other group uh, ate the same amount of calories. So the same energy, but they ate a lot of it at the end of their day. You know, they didn't have this like frequency. And what they found uh, in that study was that females who didn't have the frequency there had more of like a binge, you know, heavy uh, end of the day had more cycle irregularities and cycle problems than the females that ate more frequently. Uh, And that's in my work. That's what I found. You know, if we eat often, uh, eat frequently, it really supports that blood sugar stuff. And then, you know, we're helping manage our cortisol and our stress, which is really important, you know, because training stressful, being on the bike stressful. And, you know, so we need to use food to, to manage that. Uh, so the two key things are, am I eating enough? And then am I eating like often enough frequently over the day? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on that. It was actually one of my other little notes I wrote down was the frequency thing because, it's again, it's not just something I see with ladies, like it's super common that and the whole intermittent fasting craze thing that's that's going around these days, which for some people like it, it, it might work, um, maybe short term. I don't think it's going to be a good thing long term, but definitely like if you're doing any type of training, like not eating of the morning or stretching that fasting window out, like like you said, like if we're talking about stress, it's just like red flag straight away. Like the first, the first bit of your day starts off like it is a stress, right? When you get up, you start doing things, particularly training without giving the body any fuel. You're just like filling that bucket up first thing. Yeah, well, it's our most unstable time, you know, yeah. right in the morning time when our cortisol's highest. Uh, and then if we're going to go out and train on top of that, in our unstable time, we just really set ourselves up for a lot of problems for the rest of the day. We chase blood sugar, you know, we go on energy roller coasters. Uh, Maybe we see like binges in food, which again, just, which links back into like blood sugar and cortisol and stress. Uh, 
So yeah, I think just being really aware, like a lot of women that I work with, they have to train in the morning early because that's the only time they have families, they have children, they have a job, but you know, and this is for males as well. Uh, If you have to train in the morning time, you need to put in some strategies to support you uh, to get the most out of that training. Cause otherwise what's the point really? (laughs) You know, if you're training for something and you really want to progress and uh, get stronger, if you're constantly chasing your blood sugar and you're like, what? It's there's no point in in doing that that training session. Not saying that you know, of course, if you just go out for a walk, that's a different conversation. But if you want to get in the gym and train hard and get results, we need to set ourselves up for success. And if you're a morning trainer, you need to eat something straight, like straight away, you know, 30 yeah. to 60 minutes in the morning uh, to fuel your body for that training. Yeah, for sure. So what about like, you touched on it before, but like overall amounts, like, cause that's another thing. Again, it's, I see it with both clients, with both males and females, but females in particular, like the whole calorie deficit thing and 1200 calorie diets to try and lose weight. <laughs> like it's, it's huge. And that's most females. That's, that's what they get taught or, or, or read on, on Google or whatever it is. But what do you sort of recommend? Like I know I've seen some of your posts about how much you are actually eating, which is probably double that. Um, and most women, most women would some, or some women would think, Oh my God, like, but that's actually what you need to support yeah. what you're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can, can you touch on that? And then like maybe touch on what actually happens. Like when you eat 1200 calories, like, you, you probably, if, if the stress is so high, you're not going to lose weight anyway. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, we can talk about it for, uh, for both males and females. Cause I know a lot of males that are chronic under eaters as well yeah. <laughs> that don't eat enough. Um, so it comes back to like the metabolism. So if you're in the fitness uh, world or pretty much everyone's heard of like a slow metabolism and a fast metabolism, it's a little bit more complex than that. But basically our metabolism is the process that happens in the body that takes the food that we eat and turns it into energy in our cells. So we're like right down deep, like in our cells. Now, if our metabolism's not working properly, we aren't actually getting the energy out of that food into our cells. And if our cells don't have energy, well, then a cascade of problems happens, you know, are we, and this is over time when we start to see stuff come up, those key signs that we spoke about. You know, we might start to see irregular cycles or, you know, skin breakouts or irritability, uh, energy roller coasters, lack of sleep. That's a big one. When someone's sleep uh, gets disrupted, you kind of know that the system's a bit stressed. So if We talk about it from a metabolic perspective. If I don't have a strong metabolism and mostly what affects our metabolism is stress, uh, cortisol. Uh, And for a little while, that's okay. But over time, like chronically, uh, that's what uh, creates, well, I don't want to get too sciencey, but basically the thyroid, which sits on, you know, the front of our throat here, She's like the queen of our metabolism. And if I have chronic stress, so I'm stressed for a long time. Now that could be 
uh, stress from not eating enough, from maybe overtraining, from not sleeping. It could be stress from my job, uh, you know, our environment. The world is stressful right now for a lot of people. So if I have that stress for a long time, eventually that cortisol is going to impact my thyroid. And it's going to lower my thyroid. And then if my thyroid gets impacted, it plays around with my metabolism. So if we take your question around this chronic under eating or this dieting, what happens is if I don't give my body enough fuel to support my metabolism. So we have what's called a resting metabolic rate. Like if I slept all night, woke up, then laid in bed all day long and didn't move, my body needs a certain amount of energy just to survive, to keep my brain functioning, my lungs, my heart, everything happening in my body. Now, my resting metabolic rate is about 1,400 calories a day. Uh, And that's what my body needs just to survive. But then I add in a two-hour strength session on that. I walk my dog for about an hour and a half or two hours a day. So we're adding in like another maybe 600 calories I burnt from my strength session, another few hundred from my walk. And then, you know, if I'm teaching a class or I'm just moving about, we've got another few hundred. So my energy expenditure is actually like two and a half thousand calories a day that I actually expend and burn. Now, if I'm eating 1200, but my expenditure is two and a half thousand, that deficit is so big. Now, for sure, initially I could lose weight. Yeah. But over time, what happens is that we get metabolic adaptation. So the metabolism slows down, the whole body slows down. And what happens is we start to eat our muscle mass because if we don't give the body the fuel that it needs, it's going to eat our muscles because our muscles are our active tissue. So the body's going to start to eat our muscles. And then if we're losing muscle mass, we're lowering that resting metabolic rate because one of the key things that decides how high my resting metabolic rate is, is how much muscle mass do I have on my body? The more muscle mass I have on, the higher my resting metabolic rate because it's the active tissue that burns the fat at rest. Um, yeah. So with dieting, what we just see is this cycle of restriction. Then we get this metabolic adaptation. And so it gets lower and lower and slower and slower and weaker and weaker until uh, signs and symptoms start to come up. So, you know, for most females, we need to eat about 2000 calories a day. You know, if we're looking at our resting metabolic rate and then we're looking at, and we're training on top of this, we're looking at our energy expenditure, we need to be eating, you know, at least 1800, 2000, maybe 2200 calories a day. And not a lot of females eat that. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so then it's, you know, it's impacting our metabolism and we lose a lot of lean muscle mass, which is really important for us. Uh, mm-hmm not only hormonally, but definitely when we go through perimenopause and menopause, the more lean muscle mass that we can have on us, uh, the better it is. Yeah, for sure. Hence why it's good to do some solid strength training too, right? Yes. (laughs) Every female should strength train. Yeah. (laughs) It's important. It is. Yeah, it's really important. Uh, for like our bone density, our lean muscle mass. Uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of, of strength training. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And, and mobility, like I see you're, you, you do a fair bit of sort of movement-based 
mobility type work too. So not just about getting strong, like you're, you're maintaining like a really high level of mobility too. Yeah, it's like, you know, within your work even, yeah, there's like layers to it. You know, we need to build this solid foundation. We need a good training foundation. And what that means is, you know, yeah, we need a good process and method. We need a good plan and program. But within that, you know, we need range of motion. Yeah, we need to be mobile and flexible. We need to be strong within that range. So we need stability. And then we can start to build some really cool strength. Um, but, and that's kind of how I work with women that I work with, you know, we look at, do we have range of motion? Do we have the, the accessibility and the health in the tissue and the joint? Then are we stable in that range? Can we control ourselves? And then from this, then we can get strong. Let's get strong. So yeah, Ben, you're right. There's definitely layers to it. Uh, and I see that through your work as well. You know, there is flexibility, mobility stuff, there's stability work, then there's strength stuff. Uh, and then you have like your specialty, you know, the sport that you do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is yeah. that something that changed a bit for you? Like you said, you had that, like the injury. Um, is that, did you take a little bit of a different path with your training after that? Yeah. Well, when I met my trainer, uh, Jules, he really taught me how to build my foundation. Like I didn't really understand what a tra training foundation meant and, you know, how to really build this strong, resilient, capable body, uh, which was the coolest experience that I've been through. And that was like nine or 10 years ago. Uh, and then I was Olympic lifting and I got injured and I really stepped away from that because of my relationship to it. It wasn't very healthy. I was basing my self-worth on how much weight was on the bar, how well I lifted. Uh, it was affecting, you know, a lot of my relationships in my life because I was so obsessed with it. Um, and so I chose to step away from it and really just get curious about that attachment that I had to lifting and for me, it was, you know, I was so weak and broken when I started working with Jules. And then I moved into this place of being this strong athlete, this strong woman. Uh, and Olympic lifting was so attached in that. So, you know, when I got injured and I couldn't lift, it, I didn't really know who I was. And I stepped away from it, had, and I haven't gone back to it since. I do it sometimes, but. I really just went on this journey of just like playing, you know, just, you know, whatever I felt like doing. And I just started to work with a coach again this year. And that was after, you know, resting for four years and not working on something specific uh, and specializing in something. I just became a generalist and just did what I wanted. But this year I have some really big gymnastic strength training goals that I want to tick off. Um, and I think for a lot of women, uh, I think it's really important to do that body weight strength training, you know, and to do that gymnastic strength training because we get to really learn how to use our body as a tool. And I think that's really cool because it helps us build trust again with our body. And then from then we, of course, can get, get into the weights and, and you know, specialize. But uh, yeah, so my, my experience with Olympic lifting did change my trajectory a little bit, like how I viewed training. Uh, but I think it's still really cool to have goals and to push hard uh, 
you know, in the training and I'm excited for, for doing that this year with mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I guess like from an injury, we can, we stand to gain a lot from an injury, right? I think my, all of my yeah. injuries have taught me the most. <laughs> it took me a long time though. Like yeah. when I had my back injury, I like struggled. I really struggled. It, I was in a very dark place because I had always, my whole life, I come from a gymnastics and dancing background. I had felt strong and capable. And here I was flat on my back on the floor, so weak and broken. I couldn't even pick a 20 kilo bar off the floor. Yeah. And it was a hard 12 months to like regain that strength, that stability, that trust in my spine again. And then years after that, it took me, you know, to build this trust with my body. But now, you know, I put in the hard work and I have this strong, capable, resilient body. Now I had injuries along the way, but each injury, I was less attached to like the, the wallowing, the, the, oh shit, like I can't train. And what do I do with myself? And who am I, you know, and more like, Hey, this is cool. Let's like, let's fix it. Or let's get really curious about why it happened and enjoy the process behind it. And you'll learn a lot as a coach and, and as a, you know, as an athlete and yeah. So each injury I have, um, have really worked on that relationship and less wallowing, more just let's fix it and, and yeah, move on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. So I'm respectful of your time. I know you've got to get off soon. So do you want to maybe touch on where people can find your, the warrior woman um, course and the school and maybe like nutrition wise, do you want to maybe share about the real food gangsters? Cause I'm sure. Yeah. There's the like again for men and women, like giving them a bit of a follow and, and reading some of their content would be really beneficial for a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. Um, like I didn't really realize that I, you know, my nutrition approach is very similar to like their work. So their uh, nutrition approach is very much around like improving health, the thyroid function, the metabolism, and dealing with stress. And for most of my life, I've eaten what they call like metabolically, but I didn't really understand that until I found their work and the work of like Dr. Ray Pete, which is kind of like the grandfather of, you know, metabolic health and stress. Um, And it was really cool to find their work, to put language to it, to be able to really explain you know, why I approach it the way that I do. So Josh and Janine from East West Healing, uh, also known as the Real Food Gangsters, which pretty much everyone knows them as, they do amazing work in this space around the metabolism, the thyroid and stress. And really, you know, if we're having trouble uh, with our cycle, with our energy, uh, with getting the results that we want in our training or our sport, we need to come back to the food. Uh, and they have some amazing content under their Instagram page, which is Real Food Gangsters, on you know how to eat to really support the system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So their work is amazing. I've done quite a few podcasts with Josh and Janine. Uh, And then for myself, I mostly show up on Instagram. So it's just my full name, Amy Kate Bow. And I post, yeah, just a lot about this triangle, this training nutrition cycle triangle and really helping people trying to connect it together. Uh, So that's where you'll find me. Uh, I do run Warrior School. So it's an online 
uh, school and community for women who want to get strong and healthier. They want to learn how to connect this stuff together. So it's uh, both individual and then I have a community part to it where we all come together and train together and support each other in, you know, trying to trying to <laughs> make sense of this, this messy stuff that can feel really challenging. Um, but you can find the info just on my on my Instagram. Yeah, awesome. What about what's your podcast called? Because yeah, oh, I forget about that every I, time. <laughs> I did have a. I've had a. I was listening to a couple the other day. There's some awesome episodes on there, so you can definitely point point people towards that for sure. Thanks, Ben. I never, I never, I don't know why. It's one of my favorite things to do. But yes, I have a podcast. It's called Warrior School. And mostly I speak with a lot of guests on there that either, you know, work in a particular space. So they're just working in the training space or the nutrition or the cycle space. Uh, I do a few solo episodes on there as well. So you can, it's on uh, iTunes and Spotify. It's also that thing on our Instagram that you can click to go into like all your pages. It's on there. (laughs) The link tree thing. The link tree thing. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. There's yeah, some great value in there that I'm sure, like we say, not just the ladies, but the guys could take away from that episode as well. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. I, yeah, I'm so grateful to, um, yeah, to come on and speak about it. And you're totally right. You know, it's not just the females out there. We for sure have the cycle piece that I think is really important to pay attention to. But just as, you know, as humans and as, uh, yeah, it's really important to pay attention to the system and starting mostly with food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nourish. Nourish. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Um, Yeah. We'll catch up again. We might, if we get some some questions maybe from the ladies, we could maybe have, do a follow-up Q&A perhaps. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye.